Let us now open our Bibles and this afternoon as we pay attention to the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins, as it is summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21, question and answer 56. Let us read then from Scripture from three passages, one from the Old Testament, Psalm 130, and then two from the New Testament, being Matthew 5, the verses 21 through 26, and 1 John, 5, or 1 John 1, verse 5 through 10. Reading first then from Psalm 130, you'll find this on page 658 in your pew Bible. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous, or plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so far from the Old Testament, turning then to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, reading there from the Sermon on the Mount, the well-known sermon of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, reading from chapter 5, the verses 21 through 26, beginning at verse 21. And you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so far from Matthew 5, and then lastly, we turn to the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 1. Reading the verses 5 to the end of the chapter. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we will focus on the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins. In light with that, we will read them from the Heidelberg Catechism from Lord's Day 21, question and answer 56. Here we have a summary of this teaching 
Ephesians is one. There's another one towards the end of the Lord's days and the Catechism. But here we'll focus then on question and answer 56. There we confess together, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. And so far, the Catechism. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. We believe the forgiveness of sins. This is what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. But who needs forgiveness? Do you and I need forgiveness? What about God? Does he need forgiveness? Why well, I ask, I just recently read that some suggest you and I need to forgive God. And what about you and I forgiving ourselves? Do we need to do that too? And we could have many more questions about forgiveness, like how do we teach our children about the forgiveness of sins, and what about restitution after forgiveness? And what about if someone I have offended or sinned against will not forgive me? And is repentance needed with forgiveness? Or is forgiveness of others automatic? You can see the questions about the forgiveness of sins abound. And we do need to have a proper understanding then of the teaching concerning the forgiveness of sins if we are to live in communion with God and communion with each other, and we need to get beyond a feel-good doctrine of automatic forgiveness you hear from so many today. As the Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is preaching forgiveness of sins without requiring repentance. And so let us this afternoon pay attention to this doctrine. Let us see that it is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we just read and then sang in Psalm 130, if the Lord kept record of our sins, who could stand before him? Well, the answer is no one. None of us can stand before God of ourselves as sinners. But as the psalm continues, but with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. His thanks to the Lord to his grace in Jesus Christ, to the forgiveness of our sins, we can stand right before our God. We can be at peace with him. Is this wonderful gift of forgiveness is what we need to seek in faith from our gracious God each and every day. And forgiveness of sins is also what we need to offer to those who sin against us, who wrong us. So let's hear about forgiveness this afternoon. Let us hear about it summarized in this way. As God forgives us, let us be forgiving. We'll look at how, first of all, how God forgives, and then second, how we forgive. Now, beloved, when we seek to understand what is forgiveness of sins, we need to be guided by God's word alone and not by anything else. 
And this needs to be said time and again, especially when we hear of those who claim that we need to forgive God. As I just mentioned, there are those who teach that God needs forgiveness. You heard me right. God needs to be forgiven by us. They say we need to forgive God. We need to let him off the hook for letting hurtful things happen to us. And so, yes, forgiving God means setting him free and affirming him even though he lets horrible things happen to us. Now, this whole idea of people forgiving God is absolutely foreign to his word. Even the idea that God has done something wrong and needs forgiveness, the the very thought is blasphemous. How quickly we forget how God has revealed himself in his word that he is without sin, he is without transgression, as we read it there in 1 John chapter 1. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in our God. There is no sin or impurity in our God. He is pure and holy. He is full of light in every way. And that's what we also just sang in the beginning of the service in Psalm 99. Praise him high and lowly, for the Lord is holy. Holy in his being, holy in his action. In no way has God wronged anyone. He is without fault. And there's no way that we can blame him for any wrong misfortune in our lives. And thankfully, we also know then from God's Word that it is God who forgives our wrongs, our sins against him. It's the exact opposite of what I just spoke about. Indeed, it is God God who grants forgiveness of our sins. And that's made very clear in what we confess here in Lord's Day 21 in the last question and answer. There the question is asked, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And the answer immediately focuses on God. There we confess that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins. Forgiveness of our sins is a gift from our God in heaven, the God of all grace, the God of all mercy. And we need that forgiveness from him each and every day. Yes, we all need this. For each and every one of us has offended God. We have sinned against him. This has been the story of mankind from the very beginning after the fall of our first parents there in paradise. Since then, each one of us has been conceived and born in sin. None of us has been born innocent, without sin. Rather, at our very core, at our very weak, we're all sinful. And this produces in, an, in each and every one of us all sorts of sin, of wickedness. Now this sin is offensive to our God. And with God, there is a penalty for our sins. And that penalty needs to be paid the penalty for our sins is death. As the Apostle Paul says in the letter to the Romans, yes, the wages of sin is death. 
Yes, this is what we deserve for our sins. We deserve the punishment of God. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the curse of death. Yes, that's the penalty. Now, we might be thinking, naively thinking, are really that sinful as deserving God's just punishment? Are we such poor, wretched sinners? Now, when we compare ourselves to others, we may be quick to think that we're really not that bad or not that sinful. At least we're not like so-and-so. But when we measure ourselves up against God, against his holy law, then we must come to that humble confession of our sins, of our transgressions, our iniquities, our faults, each and every one of us. And we together as a congregation need to come in that humble confession before our God if we are to receive forgiveness. And that again is what God teaches us in his word. Just think of Psalm 130, which we just read. With this song, we have the psalmist, yes, confessing our sins. He says there, if you, O Lord, kept record of our sins, O Lord, who could stand? And you think of another similar song, yes, Psalm 32. There David says to God, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And one more song, Psalm 51. We heard it this morning. We used it with the confession of our sins. There David says to God, For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and I have done what is evil in your sight. And there are more of these kind of songs where the psalmist comes in confession of sin before God. Think also of Psalm 38, Psalm 102, Psalm 141. And some of these confessions of sins are very personal. Others are, are congregational. And you will find more prayers in Scripture where this same is done, where there is believers coming in confession of their sins. Now, to make such a humble confession of our sins before God goes against our sinful nature, our proud nature. Yet we need to be aware of our sins and shortcomings. We see that there in Psalm 130. The psalmist is well aware. This is the working of the Spirit within him, and the same Spirit needs to work in the hearts and the lives of each and every one of us. He has powerfully worked within us so that we humbly confess our sins before God. And this is what we also need to teach our children and teens to do. Yes, and the best way to teach them is by example. And so let us truly seek out our God in faith and repentance that is in heartfelt confession of our, of our transgressions and our sins. For we also do well to heed the warning that the Apostle John wrote there in his first letter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he, that is the Lord God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, yes, this is the way the Lord calls us to go. Now, why turn to the Lord God? Well, our Lord God is ever full of mercy and grace for us. 
for sinners who, who do repent, who confess our sins and, and turn from them. And then indeed we may plead with the Lord God for mercy. That's what the psalmist does there in the beginning of Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And then a little further on in the song, but with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. And a little further on, with, with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plenteous redemption. It says, with the Lord that there is forgiveness, with the Lord there is mercy, with the Lord there is redemption. And that is there for you and it's there for me. Yes, this forgiveness, realize it's motivated by the love of our Lord God. Yes, in his love and his mercy, he, he graciously offers us this wondrous gift of forgiveness but let us understand that this gift of forgiveness of sins which God offers, he bought at a very high price, at the expense of the precious blood of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Yes, with his infinitely precious blood, Jesus Christ made satisfaction, that is payment for our sins. It is his blood that satisfied the Father's infinite wrath against our sins, all our sins. Yes, he made that perfect satisfaction. He made that perfect payment with his toning sacrifice on the cross. And that's what we also confess here in this Lord's Day, that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I struggle all my life. And with these words, yes, we come here to the heart of God's gift of forgiveness for each of us. Because of Christ's perfect satisfaction of the Father's wrath against our sins, he will no more remember them. This is the commitment coming from our God for our forgiveness. He will no more remember your sins and my sins. These words of the catechism here, no more remember my sins, they come out of God's word, out of Holy Scripture from a passage like Jeremiah 31, verse 34b there, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And another passage like Isaiah 43, verse 25 says the same. There God says, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. And so when God forgives our sins, he promises not to remember, to record our sins. He promises not to hold them against us, not to let them stand between him and us. And this is agreeing, yes, with what we sang there in Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand but with you? There is forgiveness. But there's more here with forgiveness. Through the forgiveness of sins, God also gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ not only satisfied God's wrath against all our sins and transgressions, but he also lived a life of perfect obedience to God's commands. He was truly righteous throughout his life here on earth. And so with God we have then that great exchange. 
He, that is Jesus Christ, took upon himself our sins and he gave us his righteousness. And that's what we read in Scripture, too. You look in 2 Corinthians 5, and there you read that for our sake God made Jesus Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So sins no longer remembered, they are removed, and we receive the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we also confess here in this Lord's Day. Lord's Day 21. That God will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ so that I may never come into condemnation. That's the fullness of the forgiveness of sins. And so when God forgives you, when he forgives me, we are declared righteous before our God. And this way we're reconciled with him, we're at peace with him. Now, to receive all this, yes, we need to repent and believe. We need to turn away from our sins, and we need to turn towards Jesus Christ in a true and living faith. But let's also realize that when God gives us, who repent and believe, complete forgiveness of our sins, this does not necessarily mean the elimination of all the consequences of our sins. Even as we are forgiven by God, and be assured we are forgiven when we ask in faith, we still have to often deal with the consequences of our sins, of our disobedience. And we have examples in Scripture of this, well-known examples, I think, here of what David faced with his sin, with his adultery with Bathsheba, and his attempt to cover that up afterwards with deceit and murder. Our Lord God did confront David with his sins, and as we know from Psalm 51, he did confess his sin, and God did forgive him. But then God also, as we know from elsewhere in Scripture, God said he would also face consequences. The baby that he and Bathsheba had conceived would die, and there would be ongoing trouble and violence in his families. And why are there still consequences for our sins? I realize that God our Father uses these. He has a good purpose in all of these. He uses them to discipline us, his children. He allows us to face the consequences of our sins so that eventually we would share more fully in his holiness, that we would reap an abundant harvest of righteousness and peace. We need to remember this when we face the consequences of our sins. They are meant indeed to draw us ever closer to our God in faith, to have us live more and more holy lives before him and before one another. And so in this way, we need to go forward, go forward each day, seeking forgiveness, living out our faith, living it to the praise and glory of our God. And in this way, indeed, God forgives. But how about the second part? How do we forgive? Yes, you get to see that there is a connection between the first part and the second part here. With God forgiving our sins, we have an example of how we are to forgive those who sin against us. And this is also the teaching of God's Word. Again, you check out a passage like Ephesians 4, verse 32. There the Apostle Paul wrote, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God 
in Christ forgave you. And he wrote something very similar in Colossians 3, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So you see there's a connection between God forgiving us and we forgiving those who sin against us. And you see that the one must follow up on the other. And that's what the Lord Jesus also made clear in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. There you can read the Lord Jesus saying, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So you see, God forgiving our sins, our trespasses, is connected to us forgiving those who trespass or sin against us. We really cannot have one without the other. And really think about it when we consider how gracious, how merciful God has been towards us sinners. Should we not also be gracious and merciful and forgiving to those who sin against us? Is having experienced in Christ's blood the forgiveness of sins, will we not want them by Christ's Spirit to be fully determined to wholeheartedly forgive those who, who sin against us? And so we as believers, as Christians, should always have an attitude of, of grace, of forgiveness to, towards those who have offended us, who have sinned against us. This, you could say, is the disposition we need to have every day. This was actually the disposition that Jesus had when he was on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And eventually there were those who repented of their sin on the day of Pentecost. You heard that sermon of the apostle Peter? What did Peter proclaim to him? Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, his ascension. And they were, as you can read there in Acts, to cut to the heart and they asked, what should we do? And then they were told, repent and receive forgiveness of sins. And they also were told to be baptized. Baptism confirmed to them, assured them of the forgiveness of their sins. And so we indeed need to be ready to forgive those who sin against us, who offend us. And what is then exactly the forgiveness that we offer? Well, as it is with God, it is a commitment, it is a promise to no more remember the sins which they have committed against us. And to no more remember their sins, this means that we don't dwell on their sins, do not bring up their sin against them again, and use it against them. We don't talk to others about their sin. We don't let the sin stand between us and hinder a personal relationship with them. This is what we promise to do when we forgive those who come to us seeking forgiveness from us. We forgive, we promise to do all these things. Now again, we need to realize we can only grant forgiveness if they come in true repentance. That's what the Lord Jesus made clear in, in Luke 17. There he said, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. 
from this, this passage, it's very clear our Lord Jesus is calling us to forgive those who come in true repentance. And those who are truly repentant of their sin are not going to be demanding forgiveness, but they'll be humbly asking for forgiveness, especially when what they've done has been very offensive and hurtful and wounding. And remember, when we are repentant and are forgiven our sins, we again may still have to deal with the consequences of our sin. If we have stolen something from another here, yes, we may be forgiven, but we may also have to deal with the consequences. We may need to return what we have stolen. We may need to make restitution. That's the biblical way, beloved. But that raises another question, but do we always, do we always need to confront those who sin against us and, and seek forgiveness of sins? Well, when there are some minor offenses against us, we do well to simply drop them. And that's also biblical instruction. If you look up Proverbs 19, verse 11, there it says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his or her glory to overlook an offense. There are times indeed when we need to overlook an offense. And thus when someone wrongs us or sins against us, we need to ask ourselves, how important is this matter? And is this a matter of pride for me, of always having to be right? And before we think we need to confront someone, we need to ask about the one who we think is, is wrong. Is this part of a pattern for them, a constant offense that they're giving here? If it's just a one-time offense, again, we best let our love cover that offense. Let me drop it. But we also know that not every offense, not every sin should be overlooked. In such situations, yes, we need to follow a course of action leading to repentance and forgiveness. And this, again, is where we need to turn to God's Word, and you turn to the well-known passage of Matthew 18. There it says, If your brother sins against you, go. In this way, our Lord Jesus doesn't make it very complicated. We don't stew about the offense, but we go and we take care of this issue, this matter. And this exhortation here in Matthew 18 to go and deal with this is, is actually meant not just for the one offended or sinned against. It's also meant for the offender or the sinner as well. In the complementary passage in in Matthew 5, which we read this afternoon, Jesus taught it that if we realize that we have offended or sinned against someone, we should be the one to approach him or her to make things right. As Jesus says there in, in Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift there at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then Come offer your gift. So it comes from both ways. Now, it should also be added, our responsibility to confront is not limited to when we have been personally offended. 
It's also made clear by the Lord Jesus in Luke 17, verse 3 and 4. I read that, mentioned that earlier. It says there, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And Jesus is saying here, if we see another believer, brother or sister sinning, even if we're not the one offended by this sin, we have that responsibility to lovingly confront that, that person calling him to repentance. And if he does or she does repent, yes, then we need to direct him to the forgiveness of sins and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in today's individualistic world, it's not very popular to do this kind of thing, to confront someone about their sins. Yet, beloved, if we truly love each other and we're concerned for the well-being of each other, will we not do this? Will we not then go to them? As Christ has commanded, yes, we go, and we go with much grace. As we approach them, we graciously approach them. We seek no revenge. We listen first, and we may be needing to ask for forgiveness of ourselves. We speak carefully. We speak to them in love. We speak patiently. And if they confess their sins and repent, and ask for forgiveness, then, yes, then we extend grace, do we not? Then we forgive. We graciously forgive. But how do we respond to those who, who refuse to repent of their sins against us? And you go back to a passage like Matthew 18, there we're told that we come back to them with a few witness, witnesses. If they still refuse, then, yes, we report it to the elders. We tell the elders... Because that's the way we need to go. You do hear sometimes that people say, well, you should just forgive them anyway. Now, we need to be willing to forgive. We need to have that disposition of grace always towards them. But we can only forgive those who come in repentance. And if they don't repent, then others need to be involved, including the elders of church at a certain time. Now, when someone refuses to repent... After wronging us, yes, we need to resolve that we don't take revenge. That's the, the easy way to go, where often when you wrong me, I'll wrong you. I'll get even, tit for tat. But again, we need to turn to God's Word, and from the Word, it is very clear there's no place for personal revenge. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. We need to hear that warning. Never avenge yourselves, giving even with those who wrong us, who sin against us. It's easy to do this. You can do it in many different ways. You can do it quite slickly, you could say. Giving them the silent treatment, giving an icy reception when you do meet with them. In this way, we're taking our revenge. And yet the Lord is very clear. He calls us ever to be gracious, ever full of love, even when we have been wronged. This is where we pray for the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. For as it says there in Romans chapter 12, if possible, as far as it depends upon us, we are to live peaceably with all. That should be our resolve, beloved. And when, beloved, there are those wrongs and disputes among us as believers which cannot be resolved, when 
then sometimes we need to leave them to the judgment of God and not dwell on them any further. Yes, then we may have to agree to disagree, but then also not to speak about it anymore, knowing that the Lord alone knows our hearts. He knows what lives within us, what we have done. And then we indeed need to continue always having that, that loving and merciful attitude to those who we may think have wronged us. Now there's more here, beloved. There are times when we struggle, struggle with being forgivable to others, gracious towards each other. We don't want to always feel like it. But remember the command of our Lord and Savior. Remember what He has done for you. And we may also struggle within ourselves, wondering too, am I really forgiven for my sins? And this is why you hear people speak of forgiving themselves. But actually what they really need is the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins. This is why they and we all need to gather here for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this way, we need to appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, when we hear that being proclaimed to us time and again, we are then assured of the complete forgiveness of our sins. We hear it through the preaching and even before the preaching here in Ancaster, you have the assurance of pardon, the assurance of forgiveness. It is there too, proclaimed to you. But that's not the only way God gives us the assurance of forgiveness. He also gives us the two sacraments. They too give us the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Think first of the Lord's Supper. Surely as we receive the broken bread and the wine poured out, so certainly Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out unto the complete forgiveness of all our sins. You see that there before your eyes. Be assured all those sins are forgiven thanks to Jesus Christ. And the same is also true with our baptism. Think of what we confess in the Nicene Creed. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We've all been baptized. We've received the water on our heads. And as surely as water washes away dirt from our bodies, so certainly does Christ's blood wash away the dirt of our souls that is all our sins. And so remember your baptism as you seek assurance of the forgiveness of all your sins. And then with much confidence in Jesus Christ, we may offer forgiveness to those who sin and who offend us. And so let's go forward, beloved, rejoicing each day in the working of Christ's blood and spirit in our lives. Amen.